Welcome back to the Soundtracker Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Peacock. So today I'm doing The Cable Guy, and joining me is singer-songwriter Nate Roos. And this was a really cool one to do because I've been a fan of Nate's work for a really long time, and then I come to find out during the episode that he's not only a great guest, but a really nice guy. So just a really, really cool one, and I'm really glad I got to do this. If this is your first time listening, thanks so much for checking the show out. I hope you'll check out more. I've got another 46 episodes besides this one that I think are are very good too, but I'm, I'm biased. If you've been listening since the start, as always, thank you so much. Two things I've got to bring up here. You know what's coming if you've been listening. Number one is the show's Patreon, which I cannot stress enough is so important to this show's survival. This is a self-produced show. So if you want to help keep it going, please check the Patreon out at www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. Again, I cannot stress enough how important it is to this show's survival for you, the listeners, to check that out and throw any support you can to the show. I will be putting my fourth bonus episode up. The third one just came out. It was Shoot 'em Up. I'm recording Belly with Will Menneker here in the next few days. That will be up by the end of the month. So make sure you get in because you'll be able to get that first day. And once again, that's www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. Also, make sure you give the show a rating wherever you listen, Spotify, Apple, whatever. Every one of those helps for a little show like this. All right, I'm going to let you get to it. It's the Cable Guy. Enjoy. It's running, ain't nowhere to hide The beast is coming and he's got you in his sights He ain't gonna miss you and he ain't gonna mess around If you're a movie with original songs The soundtrack I'm gonna track you down Oh yeah! All right, everyone, welcome back. So today it's The Cable Guy, and joining me is singer-songwriter for the format, fun, also the co-host of The Clean Cast, and most importantly of all, extremely good dad, Nate Roos. Nate, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for the uh, wonderful intro. That's the one I care about the most is extremely good dad, though I don't know if I've earned that just yet. I think you're good. I see your stuff on Twitter. You seem like a very good dad. I just had to take one, like we just had to take one at the hospital the other day, like the emergency room. It's like the third trip to the emergency room in the last two months. It's just, it's just like so daunting. I, yeah. I mean, I don't have kids of my own, but like my friends have children and just being around that, like they're great. I love kids, but it's so nerve wracking. Most of my friends' kids are sort of grown upish now, but like when they were very little, I, I, I mean, it's like a nightmare. I would like watching yeah. them like wander around. I'm like, they're gonna hurt themselves, you know? Like it's. I thought you could leave them alone. We have a five year old, and he's really actually like, he's pretty well behaved. But our daughter is is she's three and she's a psychopath. And um, <laughs> and I thought just because it was it like we can leave him alone. Not like we're going to go, <laughs> mom and dad are going to go for a drink at, at the bar, but just like we trust him to go to another room or whatever. Um, and our three-year-old went to another room and decided to put a Lego in her mouth and like was choking. So it's just oh, like, it's, it's terrifying. The whole, the whole situation is terrifying because when you think that everything is all good, that's when like, it just gets bad, but she's good. She <laughs> yeah. totally, by the way, she's totally, she's totally fine now and she is in trouble 
<laughs> but that's how they learn. You know, the, the I, trouble I, is how they learn not to do that again. God, please <laughs> let that be the way that they learn. <laughs> I'm speaking like, I know, I don't know. I know. Um, Cause otherwise I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> You've got this. Yeah, I was going to say also, you know, good husband, but I don't want to like immediately wife guy you. I figure that, you know, if you want to like, you know, most of my married guests wife guy themselves at some point during. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll absolutely <laughs> wife guy myself in, in the next, like probably five minutes without you needing to. <laughs> The thing I'm most proud about is that I didn't fuck that intro up because, you know, a lot of times it's just like host of blah, blah podcast. But when I'm stacking things up, my fear was that I was going to transpose the word the and say the fun and format. And I'm like, I, I just if I get through this without screwing it up, I, I've got the rest of this down pat. So you, you you did like, yeah, you, well, you got like, well, but you said the claim cast. It's actually just claim cast. Oh, God damn it. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> See, I always screw something up. We're, we, we're, we're on a time constraint, so I won't re-record it. I'll just have my editor cut out the the. And then leave your part in so you look weird. Just leave out the the. That's all you need to do. <laughs> right, right. But it's fine. People call this the soundtracker all the time, and it's just soundtracker. And I'm just like, it, it, it's whatever. <laughs> it's, it is, it's, always, it's always whatever. As a, as a guy in bands, like it's, it's just whatever. You can't even, like, who, who fucking cares? Like, as long as you get the main word right. <laughs> all right so nate let me ask you what made you choose the cable guy because i i was like shy about asking you i probably typed that message like six times before oh. i was finally like screw it i'm gonna hit send no <laughs> this was this was this was a great idea because i i don't know what made me choose the cable guy that day i think like i don't like movies at all <laughs> um i hate them actually <laughs> i truly truly hate them i will not watch them um but I, I, there's just some sentimental stuff attached to this movie and, and particularly this soundtrack because um, while I tell everybody that the first CD I ever bought was uh, The Cure, Staring at the Sea, it, this, this Cable Guy soundtrack is actually the first uh, CD I ever bought. See, that's incredible. And you told me that in messages that day. It was funny because you're when you replied, you were like, is that one okay or is that weird? And I'm like, no, that's awesome. And then you said it was the first CD you ever bought. And I was like, no, that like, that's perfect because I mean, that's kind of the whole like point of this show, you know, that like a lot of people, especially our age, I think I I've got you by like two years or something, but around this it's close enough yeah. that like our formative years, a lot of music discovery was on soundtrack albums. Oh, so. oh, oh, it's insane. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and cable, the thing about cable guy is, and I'll talk about this when we get to the soundtrack, but, um, it's not held in the same regard as like Batman forever or some of the real big ones, but this soundtrack was pretty big when it came out. It, it wasn't like a, a top 10 soundtrack, but it held strong in the Did top it? 200 for like months. Yeah. I can't find it. Did, could you find it on, I couldn't find it on iTunes. I don't have, I don't have Spotify, but I couldn't find it anywhere. It's not uh, Spotify's only got like five of the songs on it, but um, I, I saw that that's iTunes had that too. And so I just went to YouTube when I was doing my research for this uh, episode. I went to YouTube and streamed some of the songs. And I think the soundtrack rocks, but um, yeah, yeah, it's great. And thank you for going above and beyond, too, because I've I've had people that <laughs> I've had guests before who were like, couldn't find it on Spotify. I don't remember that song. And it's like, it's on YouTube. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and my whole I mean, at this point in my life, I'm all about nostalgia, um, particularly like 90s nostalgia when I first got into music, not like when I was like, uh, hardened by it and hated it, you know, like I, right. I, 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 so I'm so obsessed with the things that I just grew up when I, when I still like gave a shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I last summer, like spent the entire summer 
getting my girlfriend into Third Eye Blind. Like, you're going to listen to Third Eye Blind, and you're going to love <laughs> That's Third Eye so Blind. Rad. <laughs> ah, it's so funny, because, I mean, like, I grew up, at, I was listening to punk rock, and Third Eye Blind was, um, like, this, the band that I was secretly listening to <laughs> when I was supposed <laughs> to be listening to, like, No Effects and stuff. I was, like, listening to Third Eye Blind. The first two albums are two of my favorite of all time. They're so good. They're so good. Somebody's asking are, for you. Are, oh, we got. I, I'm. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm being. Uh, I have someone asking for me. Apparently, you're okay. I, I, heard, I heard. I heard. I was like, I was literally like mouthing and pointing and being like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll cut the part where you said, get the fuck out of here. So you still seem like a, a good dad. <laughs> no, no, I don't care. You, you, if you want to keep it, keep it. He knows. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you, I asked, it's funny because I almost didn't go this route with this. I, I asked Dan Beckner when we did Lost Boys about his experience with having songs on soundtracks. And then I kind of was like, well, that's that. Everyone's probably had that same experience. And I was like, I probably should ask Nate. <laughs> I don't honestly like, don't. I don't remember. I like, I don't remember. It's usually just like, well, I mean, with the fun stuff, it was just like, Hey, can we put this song on the soundtrack? Uh, and then I've had a couple of times when people have asked me to write songs for soundtracks. And um, I don't remember if anyone's ever taken one. But they're usually not like good movies. If it was a good movie, then um, I would probably spend like a lot of time. Oh, I've been asked actually to to like make a soundtrack for a movie, and I I started for like like two weeks and was just like, "There's, I'm not going to do this." <laughs> your your experience actually is almost precisely like Dan Beckner's. It was just like I don't really remember much of it other than that really bonkers Mandy soundtrack that they did, where they did the I can't remember the cult leader's name in the movie Mandy, but they, they made a fake album for that character. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. I didn't know Dan did that. Yeah, he was involved with that too. So yeah, uh, but okay. Then I don't. If I ever have another musician on, I don't have to ask ever again because <laughs> it sounds like it's the exact same for everybody. But yeah, and I think that that's probably more of a generational thing because it seems like the songs that were in soundtracks back in the day is kind of like B sides. Like B sides for me, like Weezer B sides and stuff like that, were just as good and sometimes better than a lot of the main songs. And uh, I feel like a lot of these 90s soundtracks had songs that were some of the band's best songs. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, oh, I sound like it's like that. Look what they've taken from us thing. But that's how it feels sometimes talking about soundtracks, because, you know, they still put soundtracks out, but not to that extent. You could find a, a band in their prime putting like a B-side on a soundtrack album like they're in their prime B-side is going to be like significantly better than a ton of other shit you might hear on the radio. So it's like it used to be this treasure trove of finding like loose songs by Banjo and Weezer was a big one. I mean, Suzanne and there mm -hmm. were so many good yes, Weezer yes, B-sides. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's do a little background on the movie. So the cable guy released on June 14th, 1996, and it came out to pretty mixed reviews. Uh, a lot of people thought it was too dark. Some critics really did like the direction Jim Carrey seemed to be going. And the thing is, Love or hate this movie, this is kind of what led to him doing things like The Truman Show and Eternal Sunshine. It was his first stab at, even though he's still doing very much a, a Jim Carrey character at certain points in this. Uh, it was his first step into something besides like Lloyd Christmas or you know, uh, The Mask. I don't know. Ace to think Ventura. Like yeah, Ace Ventura. I don't know why I blanked on that. Not with the yeah, mask, but it, his, his main. Yeah, no, The Mask was good, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. But I, I honestly was never a Jim Carrey guy because I always thought he was way over the top. And I remember seeing the mask the day it came out in the theaters and being like, okay, this is, this is actually like, like, this is good. And I think this, this came after the mask. Yeah. Um, and 
I wanted to see it because it just looked a, because I owned the soundtrack <laughs> and I thought that, um, I, th- I thought that that was great. And then when I went and saw it in the theater, um, I loved this movie and everybody hated it. Okay. Wait, now hang on. I got a question here. You actually had the soundtrack before you saw the movie. I want to say I did. I can't honestly remember. So like if someone is going to fact check and be like, Hey, it wasn't out before <laughs> the movie, but, but if I remember correctly, I had it before the movie. No, it did. It came out a few weeks before the movie. So I could fact check it here. You were correct on that. I just didn't know. I was going to ask you if it was like you saw the movie first and went into the soundtrack. So what led you to buy the soundtrack, I guess? Uh, I want to say that I, the radio station that I had been listening to was maybe playing uh, a song or two off of it. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, this is cool. And like, if it's going to be my first CD, then it's going to be a bunch of different music, you know, and it's not going to be just like one band per se. And I loved, uh, toadies and um and i loved silver chair and uh and i think i like the the jerry cantrell song or something like that okay and and, you know i have a very similar story to seeing this in the theater with a group of friends and being the only one who didn't hate it when we left the movie theater yeah Um, yeah but you know here's the thing though you and i have been vindicated because this movie has you know despite the fact that it came out to like a, a sort of a tepid box office well i'll get to that in a minute not as tepid as it's remembered to be but it came out to what was considered a disappointing box office and and middling reviews at best it has in the time since become a bit of a cult film so i, I feel like you know you and i we were right we were, we're trailblazers here oh yeah we were definitely right i knew i was right about it too that was the other thing is i was like how can people not think that this is like a fantastic movie um my wife and i would always uh, she's, but she's, she's a child of the nineties too. And she's, she's like four years older than me. So I I never know if she's going to know the exact references that I have. Plus, I mean, we came from completely different backgrounds, but we would always like be like, I, and he sounded Asian. I think he's (laughs) Asian. We would just say that to each other. And we, and we are not like, uh, we're just not the same people. So it was, I, I was like, okay, well, this is how I know that I need to like marry this one. (laughs) but <laughs> my roommates in college i had like the guys i hung out with in college and I ended up like living with the line that we always quoted from this was the eric roberts cry baby <laughs> always been yeah. like anytime like one of us would get pissed off about something we shouldn't like one of the other friends would fire that at him <laughs> that's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great. Such, so the the all the side things like with the t- television all the ben stiller stuff was phenomenal and I remember thinking that as a kid. And I also remember thinking like, maybe I'm actually really cool that I acknowledge this. And, and, uh, and so I was kind of big up. I always bigged up myself with this movie specifically, just being like, I'm probably one of the only people that like it. And that means that I'm like, awesome. <laughs> well, me too. You got to throw me in here too. Well, I'm, yes. I'm... And you, and yes, and you as well. Um, <laughs> and which I figured, you know, I, that, but it's, it is one of those movies where if you catch the wrong person, they're going to be like, what? What is that? Well, that's like that's when he was weird. I feel like there's certain people that like feel that way if they went and revisited it now might feel differently. I, if this movie had come out even a decade later, I feel like it would have been probably one of his most liked movies. But I, I hope so. This was uh, honestly we watched it last night because I, I do my research, um, but we watched <laughs> it last night and. I, I was like, this, this is phenomenal. This is so good. I was never, I was never a Jim Carrey guy. And he, he like lays into, he's very Jim Carrey in this movie, but there's just something different about it. 
you hit it right on the head too because like it's very much him doing a Jim Carrey thing. But we'll we'll get to we'll get to it. We'll get to what we talk about the movie a little bit because I have some notes on that that I noticed last night watching it with I guess a more critical eye for for the show. You know, I typically just when I watch this, it's to laugh and enjoy it. But I had to like kind of for the conversation pay attention to some of the things he was doing. And yeah, I, I think his performance in this is fantastic. So, yep. uh, so, okay. So the reason this movie was considered a failure comes down to two things. Jim Carrey famously made $20 million to be in the movie. And it didn't, because this was a huge thing at the time. He made 20 million. It didn't reach the box office projections that it was supposed to based on his previous films or as producer Judd Apatow put it, because Apatow produced this, that people looked at it because it didn't make even more money than it did. Cause it made $102 million <laughs> on a $47 million budget. So yeah. like, and there is, there's like this conspiracy theory that's not been confirmed that uh, the movie was seen as a disaster because rival studios had started circulating this idea because they were mad that uh, Columbia had set a new high watermark for star salaries with that $20 million. And that did stick. I remember that was a big thing, like Brad Pitt and a yep. lot of people getting 20 million per picture. There. I remember it too. I thought, it, I somehow thought it was the mask that was the movie that did that for Jim Carrey, but maybe that was, I mean, then that you're automatically setting the movie up for failure, especially a movie that's going to be a little off uh, and like a little quirky and a little dark. Like you're absolutely setting it up for failure. If, if there's some press around like how much, someone's getting paid to be like a nut job with a lisp well yeah and when you have tales of like ballooning look at Waterworld. like Waterworld, if you took away Waterworld's humongous budget it would just be like a mildly forgettable movie that yep. people enjoy from the 90s but it had that huge budget so it became this like infamous sort of disaster that it wasn't that it's like a perfectly watchable yeah you know. But I, I like Waterworld more than some people, so maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, I'm me, being me too. It's been I haven't watched it in about fifteen years, but yeah, that was another like quote that we would always say is like Dryland is a myth, you know. <laughs> um, but I remember like seeing it again the day it came out. I don't know. It's it's interesting that I hate movies so much because most of these movies that we're talking about, I've seen the day they came out. But I remember Waterworld. Like, I, yeah, I thought it was fine, but I remembered how much it got shat on, like because uh, because of the budget. People just hate to see things shine, you know. That's <laughs> well. I mean, it's it's also fucking insane that they built a uh, <laughs> like they built an ocean in in a studio. Kevin Costner was like convinced he could do anything at that point in his career, and he could actually, as we saw, <laughs> he could get away yeah. with whatever he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to do just some I, tonight. I'm just going to do some uh, in bed research on like the way that that movie was filmed because that that movie is like it's it's wild for, from what I remember reading about. <laughs> all right so the top 10 the week that the cable guy came out so number one was cable guy there's a pretty stacked top four or five here number one was the cable guy number two was the rock number three was mission impossible number four was twister number five was Dragonheart. and it kind of trails off if you get past the top five but number six was eddie number seven was the phantom number eight was spy hard number nine was the arrival and number 10 was mall flanders so uh, just a few little things here before we talk the movie that were, as far as casting goes, at one point, this was actually written for Chris Farley to star in it, but he had to drop out due to scheduling. Adam Sandler was also considered for the role, but uh, it, the first draft of the script was apparently a lot lighter. Like, what mm -hmm. about Bob? And mm -hmm. the screenwriter ended up writing four other versions that got progressively darker as they went along. And eventually he got tired of it and left to let Judd Apatow take over. So the final script contained elements so disturbing that Columbia heard many complaints regarding certain scenes. So apparently, and I'd love to see this, Stiller 
shot every single scene of this movie. Well, not every scene, but pivotal scenes with a dark version and a light version. So there's like exists out there a version of this that's darker uh, that he, well, maybe the film might be destroyed by now, but there were like film elements containing a very different version of this movie based off the original script. And I'm glad they went the way they did. I mean, I feel like it's yeah. dark enough as is, yep. but not too dark that it can't yep. be funny. Yep. I, to- I totally agree with you. And I, I think I remembered that was how I was able to make it out of the movie feeling like it was so great is because it didn't end even darkly. Um, and I thought that that was great because I, I don't know, sometimes I think people pull the trigger on, on not making such accessible endings because it just seems cooler to kind of veer into a different direction. But I actually appreciated the fact that this was such a dark movie that weirdly like ended. Okay. Yeah. Like, because the thing about chip is chips, not like he is just to be like he is. There's obviously like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not armchair psychiatrist here, but like borderline personality or something like that going on, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's not like he's a character that like should be hated for any reason. Like he's just needs help. No. And it, I mean, it got dark when he, when he beat up uh, Luke Wilson in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, but I mean, well, there were a lot of moments <laughs> to be honest, like even the whole <laughs> prostitute scene and stuff like that. But, you know, I was kind of just slightly on his side and was like, this guy's funny and he's just psychotic uh, until kind of that scene when I was like, all right, like this, this, we're about to take a turn like for something else. Um, I actually, yeah, I I thought that, um, you know, the, the scenes, they, they would show the scene, you know, where he's watching the TV uh, as a kid you know, and his mom's going out and stuff like that. And I think that that was supposed to, you know, endear us to him, obviously, and know that try and let, make us understand. Cause it really is just like a guy who like wants a friend. Yeah. That that's all this is, is a guy who just wants a friend. There's parts in this where it, early on, one of the big ones is early on when he says uh, perfectionist, when he's saying he's a perfectionist mm-hmm. and, and his speech impediment kicks in and it's not played for laughs that time. There's like, he looks like, genuinely wounded when he says it he's very like guarded after he says it mm-hmm. and you know he's he's really good in this because he plays such a sad person and like mm-hmm. yeah just desperate for anyone in his life because you see that like his family failed him his his you know parental units or whatever you want to call it failed him um and he was pretty much raised by television and- yeah and you also see the freak kind of the you know the freaks that show up to the party are is like such a good example too of you know, the fact that he had no, that he really didn't have any friends. Like the, it was the weirdest group of people at a party, which I thought was such a cool, like, I thought that that just made it even that much cooler. Yeah. The karaoke scene is, is, yes. is so painfully awkward, but also you said somewhat endearing because it's like, these are <laughs> like, it's a, it's a whole group of like outcasts who are hanging out and having a good time together. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like I, I was going to say a bunch of freaks, but I mean, the, 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 they're, <laughs> if you look at the people that were cast for that scene, it's just so it's, it's really wild. It's really cool. And I don't, I wouldn't have picked up on it as much. Uh, I think when I first saw the movie. Well, and here's the other thing too. I think it helps that Jim Carrey, I think it's not a secret anymore that, in real life, Jim Carrey is like a true blue, like weirdo, you know, I don't yeah. mean that about like, I'm not saying like, he's a, but like, he's a, he's a strange guy. He's, yes. there's a lot of stories in him. Uh, a couple of stories that I found about this, the making of this, uh, well, a funny one about this. He was so bad at playing basketball that they just had him basically mime dribbling without a basketball. And they had to use VFX to add the basketball no. in production. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> extremely relatable to me because I am not 
uh, I'm not a Hooper either. <laughs> but uh, when he was negotiating for his $20 million salary, he insisted that his attorney and his two managers all come to the meeting wearing Ace Ventura dressing gowns, in his words, so that they wouldn't lose their sense of perspective. <laughs> oh my God, that's so fucking awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, he improvised the Silence of the Lamb scene. Um <laughs> another when they met up with Jim Carrey, Apatow and Ben Stiller, they had like this creative discussion on the script when he was the finally realized that this is the guy we're going with. And he came up with the idea of him pressing his chest up against the glass, like in the movie Midnight Express. <laughs> and he did so by writing tits on glass on a bar napkin and sliding it across the table to <laughs> Judd Apatow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I feel like probably Judd Apatow and Ben Stiller, I, I like, are a little more grounded in reality. So <laughs> it would be it would be wild. And also, like, this is the guy. It's it's so Jim Carrey's arc is just so so wild to me because he started out in, in Living Color, which obviously was we were pretty much kids when that came out. Mm-hmm. And so to see the guy who wasn't from Saturday Night Live become bigger than all the people from Saturday Night Live was was wild to me. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, I, I, it's been a very long time since I've watched Ace Ventura, and I, I feel like it probably would not hold up very well if I watched it now. But like, Dumb and Dumber was on. I had Dumb and Dumber kind of on in the background recently, and I hadn't seen that in a while either. And it still holds up. I mean, there were parts like I would just hear because I've seen it so many times; it's like it ingrained in my brain at this point. But like. I hadn't watched it in a long time and I would hear parts that like crack me up. I mean, you know, I, I can understand why the Jim Carrey's Jim Carrey thing might be too much for some people or some people that didn't like him or don't like him, but he is somebody who like him or hate him. He gives like 120% to mm-hmm. everything he does. Yes. Yes. And even if it's kind of the same thing, he still, do, he still, you still feel like he's, he's giving it his all. Yeah, I mean, just a just a complete maniac. I like there's a part in me, myself and Irene where he is by myself and Irene, actually, while we're on the subject of soundtracks. Funny enough, I thought about this the other day. My introduction to Pete Yorn, who I was very into at one time, mm-hmm. was the uh, yeah. me, myself and Irene soundtrack. Yep, yep. yep. Strange I condition. That. I yeah. own that uh, soundtrack. And that was the I feel like the is it the Farrelly brothers that the, the yeah, they they always made decent like soundtracks. There was like a. Was me myself and Irene? Was that the one that was no? So it wasn't. That was Strange Condition. Which which soundtrack did they just do Steely Dan covers? They had people like Ben Folds did a Steely Dan cover and stuff like that. Oh shit! That was it. Wasn't Outside Providence? It was. Um, I'm blanking on it now. I'm blanking on it now. But yeah, they have shockingly great soundtracks for their. Yeah, games. <laughs> yeah, they're very good at them. But yeah, but there's a part in me myself and Irene where he's like his mouth's drying up and he's just doing this like he's sticking his like lips to his gums and it's like stretching further and it's just just a very impressive like he he really is kind of a -a one-of-a-kind talent whether you like that talent or not yes and (laughs) i do feel like it's it's missing in today's uh comedies i guess there's like a jerry jerry lewis kind of aspect to it that Mm -hmm. that that chris farley would have had too um (laughs) like a physical comedy and I don't know if that exists. Does that exist anymore in like modern movies? Because I don't watch movies. So right now I'm trying to think of somebody that would be like on this level. And no, not really. I mean, there are good, you know, there's actors who do comedy very well, but a lot of them, I don't know. You know, who probably gave the funniest performance in anything in the last 10 years is Ryan Gosling in the nice guys, but he does all serious stuff <laughs> side of that. What so, was that? Which one was the nice guys? 
Uh, the one with him and Russell Crowe, uh, Shane Black. Oh, uh, okay. Even if you don't like movies, I might have to like tell you, you should watch The Nice Guys. It is a very funny movie. Okay, it's cool. I'll watch movie. that. Uh, that's That sounds, I mean, it, 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 I, I trust you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. If you're into the cable guy, I trust you. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. So Matthew Broderick, I just did Godzilla. And one of the things that I talked about in Godzilla was how woefully miscast he was in that movie. But I feel like he's kind of a perfect Steven in this. Like he, in this role... Matthew Broderick is perfect for what it requires because he's got to be the kind of like meek straight man to Jim Carrey's insanity that you also feel like at some point is going to have some sort of breaking point with him. And, yes. and I think he actually works in, I'm a huge Matthew Broderick fan outside of uh, this and I guess Ferris Bueller. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. But yeah, me too. And I always wanted to be a Matthew Broderick fan. I think maybe that was one of the things that drew me to seeing the movie when it came out. Um, because I loved Ferris Bueller and he didn't, it's not like he really had a lot of major stuff until this movie. So, uh, from, from Ferris Bueller, right. I, I mean, as far as I remember, so I was, I was kind of rooting for him and then watching him last night. And I was, I was like complaining about Matthew Brodick nowadays to, uh, my <laughs> wife, but I was watching him and he just had like a really like classic straight guy and just classic actor vibe to the movie that I think was like necessary opposite Jim Carrey. And like, it was one of the things that I kind of loved about the movie was the set design. It just felt like everything was a set and like just really fit the time. And then I felt like he like was almost like a stage actor uh, in the movie, which I weirdly appreciated opposite Jim Carrey, who was just way out there. Yeah, you're right. And another thing about Steven and his performance as Steven is like Chip just wants a friend and he's, in his own weird way, he is like as loyal as can possibly be to Steven. Mm -hmm. And in return, and even amongst his other friends, Steven's not exactly the most likable character in this, which I think helps. He's not like a bad guy, but like he does things in this. You know, you find out that he's not exactly good with his friends. Jack Black, you know, calls him out for being not a great friend at times. And the part where he gets chip of all of the things to get him a fucking guide to losing your lisp. <laughs> that, that's that's not it's a totally true to it's totally true i didn't think about i didn't think about that you just blew my mind with the fact that yeah, he's not a great character he's not a great guy and he's not he's absolutely not a great friend like and and so much of this movie is him trying to be a better person and he doesn't even end up a better person in the end no no he's the he same has guy one. he just gets his girlfriend back yes <laughs> and he doesn't really do anything to earn it like nothing he, I mean, not, he just rescues her from someone that, like, really kind of was. I don't want to say it's, it was his problem, but I still liked him, though. I, or sorry, I don't know if I like Stephen, but I, I like Matthew Broderick in this movie. I, that's the thing. I like Stephen as a character too, because you understand. I mean, obviously, you understand why he would reach breaking points with Chip, but I think even right from the get go, like, he could probably tell this guy is is just. And I, I would do the same thing. Like, I just think I would do the where, exact same thing. I would do the, <laughs> well, yeah. Like yeah, would, when he, at first he's like, do you want to hang out? And he like comes up with like an excuse. Like I've got this going on. Like I would do that shit too. If some cable guy came into my house and was like, let's hang out sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but once they start hanging out, like he goes out with him that first time. And like, you can tell as opposed to, it almost feels like right from the get go, he's not willing to give a friendship a chance with him. And it's just like, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to, cause like, when he first announces, there's that really funny face that Jim Carrey makes too. And it is like kind of, again, that sort of wounded thing that he puts up when he says, 
my name is Ernie, but my friends call me Chip. And he gives that really weird smile, like somebody who's never like <laughs> had a, a friend to smile at before. But like, <laughs> you know, in Steven's eyes, there's this like look of disgust. And it's like, mm-hmm. you can tell this guy's like, a, you don't have to be a dick about it. <laughs> Just like Totally. Totally. You don't have to be a dick about it. Like I'm constantly roped into situations because I can't stand the thought of being a bad guy. But I found Steven like, yeah, the fact that he, he wouldn't necessarily it took him so long to like cut the ties, but he wasn't really great to him in the meantime. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, can I ask you something? Is that the reason that you're doing the show? Is <laughs> no, this, no, this is this, I, like, this is actually like a dream for me to like <laughs> talk about something other than the lethal weapon television show. <laughs> I can't wait till you get to give the clean now when i say the there i'm not calling it the i heard, I, I got i got it i was i was paying attention believe me <laughs> when you give the claim cast pitch at the end of this to the listeners to let them know what claim cast is about or for some reason it's somebody who's here that doesn't know what it is because it's <laughs> well okay so i think you said it earlier but i think my favorite part of this movie i think not everything in this movie works exactly the way ben stiller wanted it to i don't think and again i'm saying this as somebody who like thinks this is genuinely like a tremendous comedy but yeah sometimes the tone doesn't quite hit the way that he wants and i think probably the part that hits in the exact way he wanted was the sam and stan sweet subplot mm-hmm. like you said the, uh speaking asian and you know you've always been such a crybaby like that <laughs> that whole because I, I was how old were you when the OJ trial was going on? Were you in school or were you in like, well, obviously you were at school, but like, were you... I want to say the verdict came out when I, I, I remember being like playing in recess. I want to say seventh or eighth grade. I want to say when the, the verdict came out. See, cause I realized that this trial is like a, a combination yes. of like the Menendez brothers, the Menendez the, brothers. Yeah. But and, like the OJ sort of like media circus. I mean, uh, there were, that was a media circus too, but we're like, everyone was glued to their TV because I remember in like eighth grade health class or whatever, I think I was in eighth grade our teacher wheeled a fucking TV into the yes, room. Yes. The yes. OJ verdict. Yes. You know, we got it. We had a TV. That was the, like, we were out at recess and, or like PE and the, uh, someone wheeled the television outside. <laughs> it's wild. So like, and you know, now that's not exactly the way it is. Cause you have everything right at your fingertips on the internet. Yeah. Like, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's been a while since we've had a big media circus trial. I feel well, I guess unless you'd account that, uh, Depp heard thing that I yeah but it I mean it was but it it wasn't I mean I can't imagine anything's gonna hit that OJ level because uh, I mean that was that was just wild um and I don't know what I guess I you know I think that the the theme of this movie maybe was because I I I finished the movie last night and was like this is the best movie I've ever seen but if I'm (laughs) if I'm thinking back like I think that whatever the message was in this movie was like, turn off your TV, I think is a little Mm -hmm. kind of weak. Yeah. And it like, it really gets heavy handed in the part at the end when he falls on the satellite and like, it shows a guy look at a book. Like I I love to read, but like that just struck me as, so I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit when it's like that guy discovers a book next to him and it's like, people can enjoy both things. I watch a lot of TV and I can read at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I found to be kind of like, like what's, what's the message this can't be, an authentic message it's it's coming from like these guys making a movie <laughs> right yeah, we're sitting watching a movie and you're telling us to stop doing this <laughs> right and like a, a a popular like a, a mainstream movie you know so <laughs> i i kind of was like i rolled my eyes for sure yeah you know i actually forgot 
Well, a couple of people that I forgot were in this. I forgot David Cross and Bob Odenkirk were in this. Completely forgot that both of them were in this movie. So did I. I. Did not remember that. Funny seeing Bob Odenkirk with like the thick head of hair that he had back in 1996 mm-hmm. still. Uh, but Jack Black, I realized something last night that this is the most John Jack Black character he's ever played. He's just like a normal guy. Yeah, like, I know. Thank God. <laughs> but the first thing that I ever saw him in that I like recognized him in was I still know what you did last summer, which is a fucking terrible movie. Wait, he, he was in I still know what you did. I never I didn't see that movie. He on plays the, a Jamaican. Like, oh, <laughs> I saw that. OK, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that the day it came out on a date and where there was the girl I was dating for a while. At the time, like a first date thing. But immediately when it ended, my biggest memory of that movie is a guy standing up like the second the screen went black and saying, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but Jack Black plays like a white Rastafarian guy in it. It's fucking terrible. Amazing. And I hated him. I hated Jack Black for like five years after that. I was like, I hate this guy. I don't know who he is. I hate him. And uh, I enjoy like Tenacious D and School of Rock and stuff. So I went on to like Jack Black. But um, yeah, this would have been the first thing that I saw him. And it was kind of weird seeing him play just a, a, a normal guy and uh, kind of a sh- a f- with a shitty friend. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, he was, it's like, he was a kind of Jack black, which was, which was nice. Um, and he was also, uh, you know, he was like alt, I guess, like, you know, his alternative friend wearing like a, a sound garden t-shirt and stuff like that. I, th- I thought that I, I always get like happy when I see stuff like that in movies. <laughs> well, and there's a, yeah. I, I, when you see like that sort of character or them wearing like a t-shirt that, you know, it's relatable. I feel like I've had a lot of band t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. And just the alternative, all that alternative stuff. It just made me nostalgic for just like that time where, you know, I'm nowadays I, I am so mad that I am as old as I am. But <laughs> when I watch those movies, I'm like, Oh, I wish I was like the same age. You know, I wish I was in like my mid twenties in the, in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, yeah. I'm glad I'm not. I'm okay. I'm I, I'm about to be 42. I'm looking down the barrel of 42. Uh, so like, I don't, I don't 52. I'm, I'm okay with not being 52, but I, yeah, yeah, no, I know true. what you mean. I know what you mean though, because like, I don't know, but then I feel like, I feel like then I would just be like a cranky old man. Now I feel like if I had grown up 10 years later, I'd be like the cranky old guy that like kids these days. <laughs> I'm I'm already the cranky old guy. So it's just like, <laughs> just, I, I could have just gotten to it a lot quicker. <laughs> So other cameos in this, yeah, Janine Garofalo is perfect as the like Unbe- waitress. Unbelievable. Who- also, one of my favorite scenes of all time was like, eh, but uh, but you have Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> She's so acerbic too. Like she just, you can tell that it's like the type of, I've had servers like that, that like you can tell just do not want to be there that day. Hate whatever, every table that they have, they want nothing to do with it. Um, Andy Dick, I didn't realize it was Andy Dick as the medieval times the dj yeah yeah. i remember that well because i i the ben stiller show was before this right yeah yeah so i remember watching the ben stiller show and i think andy dick and janine garofalo were cast members on that but andy dick we talk about it on clan cast all the time i don't know how he's not in jail (laughs) i mean he literally he literally gets an assault or a groping charge once every few months and like it's like how can they not put him in jail after that and, you know, you can't lean on the whole, like, he's a famous guy thing, because he's not that fucking famous. <laughs> no. No, I think he killed someone at some point. Well, you might be thinking of, like, there's a whole thing where he's responsible for Phil Hartman's wife killing him because well, he got her what? back on drugs. What? Are you kidding me? John Lovitz, like, punched him in the face or something at a at a thing because he 
yeah, he got he, Phil Hartman's wife had gotten clean, and Andy Dick is the one who got her back on drugs. And no, then, yeah, I'm. I, we stopped the pod. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to just talk about how much we hate Andy Dick for the next like half an hour? No, because we do that all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, but you can like you know you've got. He's cure. such a piece of shit. Oh fuck! Oh god! I Phil Hartman, the the goat. Oh, no. I know, I know. Well, but that's a conjecture sort of thing. I mean, he did get her back on drugs, that part. But that also kind of plays into that like reefer madness idea that like drugs is what made her go over the edge. Yes, too. no, you know of I mean? course, of course. I wouldn't. Uh, first of all, I wouldn't think that drugs were what made her necessarily go over the edge. Um, but I would just, I just think about how much I hate Andy Dick, um, <laughs> and it just makes it a lot easier to you know put the two together. You got something for your next podcast episode. You can. <laughs> oh my God. I don't, but I, oh, I don't want to think about Phil Hartman. I tried. I, he's like that one thing that I just tried to block uh, out of my brain and like push it deep down. You know, he's one of those ones that I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I found out he died. Like I still remember exactly where I was when Phil Hartman died. I was on my way to my little brother's E-League game and I showed up and was like, Phil Hartman died. <laughs> oh, I remember uh, when uh, Brandon Lee died. I remember I was playing in the street. You know, when I found out that Brandon Lee like had gotten shot. I don't know if I remember that one specifically. A Kurt Cobain's death, I remember because I was hiding because I had gotten a bad grade card that day and my mom yelled out <coughs> of the house, Hey, that guy you like died. <laughs> you know, I was like, who does that mean? And it was and I come in and put it on MTV News and Kurt Cobain was dead. So oh. that's my big association with that is my mom yelling out the front door, that guy you like died. <laughs> it's so wild. I mean, all the things that come back around that time it, I, I and i know that it's no different than today but just being the age i think that we were it, it's just so wild like you know because nowadays it probably it happens uh with with other it's not like it's not like young artists aren't still dying right you know uh and so it but it was just it's such it was such a surreal time um around this era yeah and this is see that we just gotten some really deep shit just by mentioning andy dick's name that's <laughs> Fuck him. God damn it. <laughs> well, okay. So, auto, like, okay, we'll, we'll stop talking about Andy Dick. We'll talk about the, the one thing about this movie, too, is that medieval time scene. First of all, I can't spell the fucking word medieval for my life. I always screw that word up when I'm trying to spell it. I'm trying to do notes last night. And I'm like, this isn't correct at all. I just can is never it get M E D M E D E V I L. You're asking the wrong person right now. No, it's not. <laughs> it's M-E-D-I-E-V-A-L. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really weird. I could never get it right. I was trying to get it on my phone, and my phone wouldn't even autocorrect it properly. And I was like, fuck, I hate this word. But they tried to, like, sell the movie on that scene. And I feel like that sold you a completely different package. Because like, yes. most, of, I remember the trailers had, like, specifically the Silence of the Lambs thing. And the line with him saying, come back here so that I may brain thee. And, like... You're getting sold. I think that could have been part of it, too, is that you're being sold a completely different type of movie than what you got when you sat in the theater. Like, it's like you're getting the Jim Carrey experience, but not really once you sit in the theater and actually see what movie it is that you're watching here. It was nothing yeah. like that preview made it look. Yep. And I think that they just I, I feel like they knew what they were getting into by, you know, trying to make it appealing on the outside and then being something complete like a switcheroo on the inside. Yeah, I mean. I feel like some of the things that he does as the movie progresses, I kind of like how it gets progressively into the point. You brought it up. Like a lot of the stuff seems very harmless. I mean, buying him a prostitute is like a really stupid thing to do, but it's well, at least buying someone a prostitute that doesn't know that's what you're doing for them. I guess if somebody mm -hmm. likes that, that's fine. But buying somebody a prostitute that doesn't know it, like all of that stuff seems well-intentioned, but like as the movie continues and proceeds into the final act, you know, you've got, 
the scene where he beats up Owen Wilson, which is where you first see that, like, okay, maybe this guy is genuinely dangerous. Here. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, very clearly. Cause I mean, he shoves his face, he shoves his mouth in the, the air dryer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very violent. It's like extremely, that itself is like extremely violent. And also <laughs> Owen Wilson doesn't age. No, and he does the Owen Wilson thing so well. Another line that I used to quote from this all the time is, sorry to put you out, man. <laughs> he says that to the server. Oh, so good. So good. I mean, I didn't even think about that until I saw it last night. His lines were just amazing. Yeah, he's so good at that character. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and this was before. I mean, this had this probably was just right after, like, Bottle Rocket. This yeah. This might have been his, like, first movie since Bottle Rocket. Yeah, it might have been. I'd have to look at his IMDb credits, but it's got to be close. It's it's right in that area. Like this might have been exactly what he did after Bottle Rocket. But but it's, it's what an amazing comedic cast that this movie had. Yeah, and even like like David Cross. I don't even think David Cross has a line in this movie, does he? He's just there. Uh, and he he I think he has one line, and I think it's really funny, but I don't remember what it is. But so check this out. It goes Bottle Rocket, and then the Cable Guy, nineteen ninety six. Okay, yeah. So you were dead on there. Yeah, Bottle Rocket's a great one too. <laughs> Bottle Rocket is a great one. I love I I which I could get into how much I hate Wes Anderson now, but bef- <laughs> before there was like a level of self-awareness, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I, we kind of went over that on the Rushmore episode that I did where like it just I don't hate Wes Anderson now, but like I certainly haven't enjoyed anything. The last one of his that I enjoyed on the same level as his old stuff was uh Life Aquatic. And then after that, it was just kind of like I'll watch his movies out of commitment to watching Wes Anderson, but like mm-hmm. they don't do what they used to do for me. Yeah. I stopped, I stopped at life aquatic. I didn't even watch it. <laughs> it. I like life aquatic, but if you feel that way, I don't think you'll feel any differently about life aquatic. I feel like you'll probably not like life aquatic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't even look, but I can't even watch. I used to uh, like own, you know, bottle rocket and, um, uh, Rushmore on DVD and just watch them over and over and over again. Uh, and then for some odd reason, I was like, wait a second. These are all starting to blend in together. That's the problem. That's exactly the problem is that you feel like you've seen one, you've seen them all. Yeah. And then there were so many, I mean, now we're getting off off topic, but there were so many ripoffs to so many people tried to be Wes Anderson for a hot minute too. And I wish that he would have kind of changed up his game at that point. That's always my thing is like, if you're doing something and then everybody starts following you, that's when you have to see if you can do something that else that everybody's going to try and follow. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, it just feels like he doesn't have any interest in changing what he's doing. No, no, no. God, no. Not even. No, he like doubles down. He like triples down on it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, um, as far as this movie goes, so the the final act, one thing I did notice, and we'll go, we'll talk about the soundtrack here right after this. The one thing I did notice about this movie is that the pacing on this is kind of weird in the final act because he like destroys his life. And that would typically be like the final act would start at that point. But by I, I was, I was like, how much time's left in this? And it was like, there's only like 10 fucking minutes. How do you resolve all this yeah. in 10 minutes? Yeah. But, they did. They, they got through that last scene really quickly. And I remember because last night I was like, okay, like we got to go to bed like kind of soon, get up early. And, um, and then next thing you know, it was over. <laughs> <laughs> like as soon yeah. as they got as soon as they got to the uh, satellite, I was like, okay, this is going to end soon. That is a great final set piece, though. That satellite, that's yes. a really tremendous spot. Yes, that also has probably my favorite joke in the whole movie is, and like I don't like the, the him talking funny thing doesn't really do anything for me the whole movie except for it pays off with that joke when he hits him so hard that he loses his yeah. lisp and then it comes back and he says, <laughs> of all the things, it's a line with like a bunch of s's in it. You stupid <laughs> son of a bitch! Like it is. 
that the when I saw it in theaters is the hardest I laughed, and last night watching it, you know, thirty or twenty six years later, or whatever, still the hardest that I've laughed at this movie. I, like, I didn't is, even think about that. Now I'm going to probably rewatch it just for that because that is funny. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. But yeah, like you said, I think one of the things that this movie does right is not ending too dark. Like I actually couldn't remember last night. I was like, I had probably even seen this since college, and I was like, I don't think Chip dies at the end. Like in my memory, I was like, no, he doesn't die. But then I like as he was dropping, I started second guessing myself. I'm like, maybe, maybe it does imply that he's dead, and we don't see him again. And then you get the him getting onto the helicopter <laughs> and and then latching immediately on to another person to. <laughs> is I, I i also i was like i think he lives but i don't remember but i think he lives and yeah, i was very happy to see that because like i said i i think with a dark comedy it's all it, you just assume that it's going to end darkly and it didn't and i thought that that was kind of i thought that was really cool because i didn't feel like it then was like too pretentious and except for the fact that neither of the main characters show any growth you know what i mean like no. at the end chip chip doesn't show any growth either he is ready to Find another friend that is going to have to find a way to get rid of him. Yeah. Now there was no, no growth, um, which I'm, I'm also totally fine with. Is this, Oh yeah. Is this Ben Stiller's for, I mean, I didn't really know of Ben Stiller. I don't think at the time. So maybe I hadn't seen the Ben Stiller show yet, but this was, I thought he did a really good job. Oh yeah. His direction in this movie is great. And this is only his second movie that he had directed. Like he had only directed, um, something before this and i cannot think i keep thinking flirting with disaster that's not the name of it but anyway this is only a second movie and it's a very assured his direction's very assured in this movie yes and absolutely like he, it's crazy because that, that for someone who was probably as young as i guess he grew up in it but i mean you definitely get the vibe that he knew what he was going for yeah and like one scene i didn't talk about but one that like really shows is that that scene where jim carrey's outside of the the nightmare where he's outside in the hallway that part actually your removed of context would be creepy as shit. If I'd been like a five-year-old watching the cable guy for the first time, I would have probably like cried and turned the TV off at that point when he's yep. got those like weird green eyes. And he's like, that like sort of like feral face that he's got. And yeah, it's, it's really good. that some of the choices that he made and, and I am glad ultimately that this movie has found, you know, a cult sort of audience. And, and again, that, you know, you and I were right. That's, that's what matters here at the end of the yes. day. Oh Yeah. Most you important right. thing, you and I were right. Before we get into the soundtrack, I want to thank all of my listeners. And I want to remind you that if you want to keep this show going and you want to show your support, you can do so over at www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. For as little as $3 a month, you can help make sure this show keeps going. For $6 a month, you get bonus episodes. For $8 a month, you get bonus episodes and access to future miniseries. The first bonus episodes are up and more coming in this month, but I cannot stress enough how the only way the show is going to keep going is through listener support. This is entirely self-produced, and it's been running on fumes for the last few months. So even if you're not interested in the bonus episodes, any support you show the show will ensure that you get your four episodes a month that you've been getting since the show started. So once again, if you like the show, please make sure that you go and check out the Patreon, because only you can help keep this show going. Thank you. Well, let's talk about what we came here for. We'll talk about the soundtrack. So the soundtrack was released on May 21st, 1996. So yeah, a few weeks before the movie. It debuted at number 132. Now, number 132, you know, that's not super high. But again, this was in the era where you had to sell fucking shitloads of albums to make the top 10. So it peaked at number 45 and it stuck around the top 200 for a few months. 
so that's why again why i'm glad that you chose this one because this was a big enough soundtrack it had a couple of really big songs on it which is more than a lot of like the really big famous soundtracks can say usually they made their bones on like one song but this had the primitive radio god song the Mm -hmm. jerry cantrell song so this had like a long life so the top 10 the week that this came out number one was fuji's the score awesome this is a good list number two is Soundgarden's down on the upside oh i love that album so much i've been listening to it a lot lately it's so good. I was actually just listening to it today at the gym. Like, oh, really? I, I've been listening to it a lot lately. I never, I was never into Soundgarden during this time. I remember thinking uh, this "Down on the Upside" was was like a good album or whatever. But then I kind of just like forgot about them until like the last like six months ago. Obviously, with these ninety soundtracks, I've had to talk the grunger quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've talked about how as time has progressed, Alice in Chains have become my favorite grunge era band, but Soundgarden is like a close contender for that particular title. No, that depends on how like tight your definition of grunge is because like, I don't really consider, I don't count Nirvana, even though like the Godfathers, I feel like Nirvana kind of was their own thing. And I definitely don't count Stone Temple Pilots because they only made one grunge album and then went on to do Stone Temple Pilots are like one of my favorite bands of all time. So tiny music is one of the best albums ever. It's so good. It's so good. So number three on this list was Two Shorts Getting It, which is a fucking awesome, awesome. See, I, I, I never, I, I wasn't listening to rap at that point in time, like as much as I should have. I was like a huge rap kid at this time. That was that's, like my. Uh, that's, a, that's where I fucked up. <laughs> you can still make up for it. Oh, well, I mean, I try to. I really do try to. I'll send you Getting It when we get off of here on Twitter. I'll send you. I remember. I remember like the kids having the too short stuff and then not even thinking twice about it. And then later on in life, like, you know, 15 years later, uh, people being like, Oh, too short, man. This is so good. <laughs> he, really? He's not the strongest rapper. He's just very fun. Oh, I got to hear it. All right. So number four is Alanis Morissette's jagged little pill mm-hmm. who is constantly on these lists. Mm-hmm. Number five was Celine Dion's falling into you. Number six was Tracy Chapman's New Beginning. Number seven, this is very funny because typically it's the other album, but number seven was Hootie and the Blowfish's Fairweather Johnson. They're they're a mainstay of this. Number eight was Dave Matthews Band's Crash. Hmm. Number nine was George Michael's Older. And number 10 was the Cranberries to the Faithfully Departed. Now, further down the chart, so this is where I do the part where I take three albums that were in the top 200 that shockingly never made the Billboard top 10, or maybe not shockingly, but just just to show again how many albums you had to sell. They're familiar albums to a lot of people that just never made the top 10. So number 46 this week was LL Cool J's Mr. Smith, which only peaked at number 20 on the charts. Number 70 was Collective Soul, self-titled album, which only peaked at number 23. And that's the album that had December, The World I Know, and Where the River Flows. And that never made... I know I, I went on a huge, the song weight popped into my head recently. And I was like, fuck collective soul were really good. <laughs> yeah. they. You know what they, I've been thinking, I thought about it. Uh, I think right around the beginning of the pandemic, uh, there's a song, I think run. Yeah. Runs great. Run is just phenomenal. And runs, it's kind of got a Beatles Beatlesy type of vibe to it. And I loved that. And then like I, I, at the time I always thought collective soul was so cheesy. Um, and I think in retrospect, they were just like a really good, I wouldn't call them alternative. I think they were a really good, like pop rock band. Yeah. And they were a tremendous singles band. They have a, a greatest hits called like collection or something that is like, it's missing a couple of their big songs, but it's, it's a solid, like greatest hits collection. Yeah. And as a song, as a songwriter and someone who's written a lot of pop music, um, I can't argue with the way that they structure song, all this, all they do it so well. Yeah. Just really great songwriting. Mm-hmm. Number 84 this week was D'Angelo's Brown Sugar, which only peaked at number 22. Wow. 
I typically only do three of these, but I did want to throw one other one because this just surprised me. 311 self-titled album was at number 167 on the chart this week. Now, that album only peaked at number 12 on the charts, despite going triple platinum. It never made the top 10, their self-titled album, which was like one of those ones that I was pretty shocked to see. Yeah, I remember listening. I listened to that on the bus. Like, (laughs) I remember that. Like, on I think on CD. So... I don't know. I wonder how quickly I got a second or third CD. I think my second CD was staring at the sea. Wait, that's the cure. It's a greatest hit. Oh, duh. I'm sorry. You said that earlier. And I, I, yeah, thought you said, but... I thought you said staring at the seat. And I was like, what is no. staring at the seat? Yeah, what's, <laughs> that, that, that would be like the name of like a nineties band. Like that'd be a total, like that'd be like a seven Mary three album. <laughs> There's a name I haven't thought of in a long time. <laughs> Weirdly. I, I, th- I think about them all. I really do. <laughs> I, I just recently was listening to Sponge's Wax Ecstatic. On oh, Wax Ecstatic is the best. It's so good. It's so good. It's yeah. ridiculous. And that was what they like tanked on that album. Yeah, because their big one was, uh, what was the song on their oh, previous uh, album? Like, 16 Candles. 16 Candles. Yeah, Molly. Molly. And, oh, and uh, Plowed. 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 Yeah, Plowed was the big one. Yeah, I thought that that was okay. There was just something really amazing about Wax Ecstatic. The yeah. song Wax Ecstatic and the album. It's so, yeah, you got like, have you seen Mary? Anyway, we're getting the- oh, so good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. All right. So we'll do a little track by track thing. Obviously, with number one, we don't got to spend any time on it. Jim Carrey's I'll Juice You Up, which is a classic 90s soundtrack move, though. Or it would have like a clip from the movie somewhere on the soundtrack. If I'm glad they didn't intersperse them, it just opens the album that way. So that's awesome. That's, uh, number two is Jerry Cantrell's Leave Me Alone. So this was Jerry Cantrell's first solo effort. Here's the thing. This song doesn't stray far at all from <laughs> Alice in Chains. Like it sounds like an that's Alice an Alice in Chains song. I don't like <laughs> I you know you were talking about how you like Alice in Chains. I I fucking I hate Alice in Chains until oh. until the end of Wood. Other than that, I'm always like it it's always on at the gym that I work out in and I have to put my headphones on every time it's on. <laughs> I could understand that though, because there are people that play shit at my gym that I'd also thank you for being the only other person on here to talk about listening to music at the gym. Usually that's me that talks about that. And then I feel like an asshole because I'm like, yeah, let's do this at the gym. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's the only time I listen to music. Same here. And so, like, that's why, you know, and you got to like listen to the right thing. Like, I, it's, I guess I, I, I've been more conditioned to like, I remember when the, the, the unplugged album came out and I was into that. Um, but otherwise I never really got into, or not unplugged, but what was the album with heaven beside you? Oh, now you're going to make me, um, it wasn't dirt. It was, uh, was it, it wasn't jar of flies. Was it, was that on heaven? Was that on? No, it was the one with the dog with three legs. Oh yeah, I'm and I'm blanking right now. Now I'm like I can't. I'm blanking on names. I hate when this sometimes because I've got this all pulled up in front of me on my notes, and now I'm blanking on. I'm gonna have my editor cut this whole part out so I don't look stupid. After I was just like, <laughs> I, I, I love Alice in Chains. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't think of the name of their album. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so Alice in Chains wasn't really my thing, but I did love this song, and and I think that that was what initially like drove me to buy it. Well, and I'm guessing at the time you probably your Alice in Chains opinions weren't as strong as they might be now. They you know? they were. I was like, did, well, like is every song going to sound exactly the same? And like these <laughs> harmonies are fucking killing me. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna make people mad. This is gonna be like a very I, controversial episode. Yeah, but I don't care. I like people can like what they want. That's just how I feel. Like I, it doesn't right. like whatever I say doesn't mean that that's the truth. It's just like I can't listen to Alice in Chains without getting a headache. <laughs> no that's fair and i like like dirt is one of my favorite albums and this 
this sounds like it would have fit right in the middle of dirt to me. Like it's except it's a little well, Jerry Cantrell has different vocals than Lane Staley. So maybe that's yeah. part of your appeal here is that vocally, you know, Lane Staley had that very grunge sort of like like sort of that's my that's my grunge singer impression. <laughs> I see, I can't tell them apart at all. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I can't even remotely tell. Like, I always just thought it was the same guy singing, like, you know, doing harmonies for himself until I heard <laughs> this song and was like, but Jerry Cantrell is not the lead singer, but why does he sound exactly like the lead singer singing the the harmonies exactly the same way that the lead singer sings the harmonies? I was like, couldn't understand that the two of them, and I was like, he's the guitarist. Like, he doesn't do the songs, but, and I've never really bothered to figure out who writes the songs. I've always just been like, Allison Chains, not for me. <laughs> hey, that's fair. That's fair. I like Allison Chains. So as such, I enjoy this song. But that's funny that, you know, you as a not Alice in Chains fan do like this one as well. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I, my logic back then is honestly as flawed as it is now. <laughs> All right. So up next for me is one that I did not like back when this song first came out. So like, I was kind of like, we'll see how I feel about it now that I'm 41 years old. But Primitive Radio God standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand. So this surprisingly to me, this was the soundtrack original because their album didn't come out for like a month after this. I've just figured this was like one of those like big songs that they plucked from mm-hmm. that album. Right, but, right. Uh, I Yeah, I think my problem with this was back when I was 16, I remember hating the whole, I've been downhearted, baby, man, like, mm. <laughs> which, I you know, 16-year-old me didn't realize that it was a B.B. King sample. Yeah, I, I, I knew. I, I, I think I like tried to figure out what it was because I was obsessed with this song. This song is on every iPad or iPod that I've ever owned. It's been with me since since it was released. I, I I don't necessarily think it's a great song. I just love listening to it. Well, see, what I was going to say is, I'm glad that you chose this because had you not, I, I don't know, you know, I have not heard this song probably since 1997. I have not heard this song. And coming back to it, I really like it. I really like it. Oh, so I had to look up the BB King. I didn't realize where it was from. <laughs> it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful song. It like it uses samples nicely. It's not, it, it has like some really, I don't know what it is, but the, the song just builds so perfectly to me. And it has some really cool samples. And I, like I said, it'll be with probably be with me till the day I die. I don't think it's in my top 50 songs, but it's just one of those songs that I just will not turn it off if it comes on. I still listen to music on an iPod, by the way. I just want to share that. That's awesome. I think people who listen to this know this, but I, I, I didn't realize that iPods were out of fashion until Baby Driver came out and people were like, whoa, they're using iPods. What a throwback. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> no, that's uh, so much better to do that than just keep all the music right there instead of all the other weird like cloud-based stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a place in my town that will fix them up. So like I've got like three stock back that like when one dies, I'm going to have them put a new battery in it. That's as, awesome. As long as they can still get them. All right, so up next is Silverchair is Blind. I was happy to hear you say you were a Silverchair fan because I've, I don't know, you, you were, I don't know if that still applies today. I don't know how that, if you if that's remained that way. But look, I never thought I'd have to defend Silverchair so many times back when I conceived the idea for this show, but here we are. Like I've talked about them. I think this is like the third time I've had Silverchair pop up. I've said each time I've talked about them, they're a band who did not deserve the shit they got when Frog Stomp came out. No, it was not like at the all. Authenticity culture bullshit of the 90s. Yeah. Um, STP was plagued by that. And like I said, I love STP. I thought, uh, I mean, I thought that the first STP album sucked. You beat, well, I didn't and, think it And there was an authenticity that. thing for me with that. And I thought it was funny that they would do it with Silverchair because like they were doing it really well at their age and it felt juvenile. 
And you brought up the other good point at their age. They were like 15 and had a bunch of like 30 year old, like this isn't real purists, yeah. like yelling at them. Yeah, so, And also it was fucking good. It was good. Like if I were to listen to frog song now, it's got a great opening track. What is it? Uh, Israel's son. Yeah. Israel's son. I am put your hands. Like, I remember always thinking like, Whoa, this is like how you start an album. Um, and then I kind of didn't pay attention to Silverchair until they made this one weird album with Van Dyke Parks, which is probably like around 2002. Okay. And it's much more like um, Broadway-esque. Wait, wait, which album? is that? I didn't know Van Dyke Parks was involved. If it's the same album, which it's one are you talking a, about? Across the Night. Um, what the fuck is that? Is it the one with Anna's song on it? I don't know. <laughs> this, half of this episode is us looking shit up on our phone. <laughs> uh, Neon Ballroom. It was 1999. Yeah. I did not know Van Dyke Parks. That's I love that album. I didn't realize Van Dyke Parks. Yeah, he did a lot of the arrangements on it. Holy shit. And a song is like one of my favorite, probably my favorite Silverchair song. Across the Night is my favorite Silverchair song. And that that's the opener for that one. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think that Blind is fine it sounds just like an alternative song and to me it's like cool when you find out that it's like 15 year old doing it that's funny you say that because what i had in my notes is basically it's not bad by any means but it feels like silverchair just kind of going let's make a grunge song like they can do better than this they can definitely do better than that but it's a fine song i mean it works sure i don't remember skipping it but i probably don't remember like rewinding it (laughs) <laughs> that's the, I have ones that yeah I won't skip them that's like one of the like that's how I define my readings for some songs and I have a couple on here where I'm like I don't love it but I wouldn't skip it if mm. it popped up listening to the soundtrack so up next we've got $10,000 gold chains oh sweet nothing which is a cover of a Velvet Underground song so I made the mistake of looking at the track list before I listen to this I try not to do that because I get like preconceived biases like I've had to talk about Toad the Wet Sprocket three times on here too and I hey. don't like Toad the Wet Sprocket yeah. however the three songs of theirs I've covered I have liked so like that's why I try not to so I didn't know who this was all I saw was $10,000 gold chain and it got my hackles up because this is like the era of like MC 900 foot Jesus and shit so that's right. what I was expecting right right and uh Honestly, my intention with this episode, because you had told me this is the first CD you ever bought, I was I was going to like just spend 45 minutes asking you how $10,000 gold chain influenced you as an artist until you stormed off of the <laughs> they show. They did. They did. They absolutely did. It's a great song. I didn't know what it was going to be like. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, it. I remember I, maybe that's what got me into the soundtrack is I was a big Pearl Jam fan. And then I found out that Mike McCready had like a, a new band or like had, you know, played on this song. I don't even know who sang it. I didn't get to listen. I couldn't find this last night, which really annoyed me because I remember when it came out, I loved it. And obviously since then I've heard the Lou Reed version. And I think the Lou Reed version is, is far superior, but that doesn't really say anything about how great um, the $10,000 gold chain version is of this song. So the other members of this, actually, the only one I wrote down of note was Marianne Braden of Green Apple Quickstep, who I talked about on probably my biggest soundtrack surprise doing this entire show. The one that like will never leave my playlist ever again is a Green Apple Quickstep song from the I Know What You Did Last Summer soundtrack called Kids. It's fucking incredible. It's so good. Okay, cool. I'm going to um, get that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Good luck finding it. Oh, God damn it. It's on YouTube. You can find the video on YouTube. That's like it's like a fan uploaded video that has like 70 views. It's fucking weird. It's so good, though. Uh, But this cover 
almost verges into the territory of like, why does this exist? Because it's so close to the mm-hmm. Velvet Underground version, but it's just different enough that it, I mean, this is like one of, this is, I guess I'll get ahead of myself. This is my favorite one on the soundtrack. Probably if I had to pick a favorite on here, this is probably my favorite. And this is it, probably my second favorite, but behind uh, standing outside a broken phone booth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a great song. And, and unfortunately I didn't get to do that. Cause my plan was like, after you stormed off, I was going to like hype this up by being like the one question Nate Bruce doesn't want to answer like dramatic <laughs> music in the background, you know, like <laughs> it didn't work out that way. It's all right. It's all right. So it's all right. I, this is the first time I'll get to ever say this. Um, as far as cover songs go, if you keep the melody basically the same, you can do whatever else the fuck you want. As soon as you fuck with the melody, that's when your cover song sucks. So this is good. Even if it's so close to it, I don't mind because at least the melody is the same. I'm curious to see how you feel about the, well, we'll get there in a couple songs. I'm curious yep. to see how I feel about the Porno for Pyro's version then. Uh, so up next is Dave Hildner's End of the World is Coming, which is, this is another one of those ones where this is like, if you look on the internet, this is the only song, Discogs. This is the only credit that this guy has at least national releases. Like he may have some local stuff or something, but I actually spelled his name wrong in my notes and I spelled it like Hitler with a D on accident. Yeah, I, 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 I was before. like, I, when I first was looking last night, I was like, is this guy's last name Hitler. <laughs> I have to deduct points from this song for being three minutes long. And it doesn't start until about 40 seconds in. That's like, I don't, I don't mind that, but like, there's not really anything going on in those first 40 seconds. That's of note. And Here's the thing. This reminds me of like a local bar band who's really into old Chili Pepper stuff is kind of what this song sounds like mm-hmm. to me. Like if I went to like a local bar, that's what it would sound like. Like, But but the thing is, it's the guitar part's not bad. Lyrics aren't terrible. It's, I just kind of forget this one after it ends. Like it's over. And I, I right now I can't actually think about what it sounds like in my head. I'm trying to remember what I. Exactly yeah, either can like I. Like but I'm, then I'm starting to hear the Chili Peppers thing. So I'm, I've noticed something right now in looking at the Wikipedia is. Jim Mitchell was the producer of this and Jim Mitchell was the producer of somebody to love version by Jim Carrey. And I'm going to assume that that's somebody's friend from the movie. One of the guys, like any of the guys who made this movie, um, it's one of their friends and they wanted to give him a chance. And that's kind of where I didn't look the production thing up, but that's kind of where I assume a lot of these come from or people who, I can't think of his name. I did men in black and man in black soundtrack has like three, what was supposed to be artist showcases. Uh, Alicia keys, first song, destiny's child's first song. And then there was some other one that was really good. And it was the only song they ever had. And I'm guessing it was one of those where like, it just did not happen for them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like as opposed to, but yeah, I always assume that's part of what it is too. Where it's like a favor to a friend. Like we'll get you on here, mm-hmm. but Joey deluxe on the Godzilla soundtrack being another good example. Yeah. of that. <laughs> Oh God. All right. So, but yeah. Um, yeah, just like, again, it's kind of forgettable, but again, not one I'd skip best compliment I can give it is it's not one that I would skip if it came on, you know, if I'm at the gym listening to it, I'm not going to like rush to my phone or whatever. I, I would skip. I, I would skip. I, that's fine. That's fine. So up next is Porno for Pyro's Satellite of Love, which is a Lou Reed cover. Porno for Pyro's were always hit and miss. I mean, they have two albums, but like their stuff is always hit and miss with me that I've heard of theirs. And uh, this kind of has all the hallmarks of why they mm-hmm. often missed with me. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like this one. It's like the polar opposite of the $10,000 gold chain cover, though, because it is very different than the original. Yeah, I don't. Honestly, I don't. I didn't get to the chance to hear it. I couldn't find it online. I kind of remember it, but I also, you know, I know the Lou Reed version. So maybe I'm just hearing this the Lou Reed version in my head with Perry Farrell singing it. That's not far off. It's just a little sunnier, I guess, than the Lou Reed version. It's more right. That's productions cool. bigger. That's cool. All right. So up next is Crackers. Get out of my head. Cracker. I think Cracker are very underrated. Honestly, absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely yeah. underrated. Yeah. This remind. You know what this song reminds me of though. 
take the vocals away aside from the vocals this song reminds me of like a drive-by truckers like an, an early 90s drive-by trucker song kind of i and never got into drive-by truckers but that would make sense they're good they're good they're i believe good. it very good i believe um, it but yeah he you know I, it's kind of like the silver chair song though where like i know cracker can do better than this song but it's still pretty good yeah i mean it's a it's a very classic grunge b-side soundtrack song so we've got Jim Carrey, Somebody to Love up next. So a few weeks ago, I did So I Married an Axe Murder on here. And smack oh. dab in the middle of that soundtrack is Mike Myers doing beatnik poetry. Like there's a song crammed in the middle of the soundtrack. And I said something on that show that along the lines of like, as a soundtrack artifact, this is something that could have only existed in 1992. That's exactly how I feel about this. Just exchange years. Like this is... Now, with that said, I would listen to this over the Mike Myers beat poetry thing any day of the week. Is it really is like the basically the, the original song just with jim carrey doing his jim carrey thing over top of it you know it's a top six top, top five or six song on this album for me okay <laughs> see that's he, interesting i like still just remember the way that he like <laughs> it, maybe it's just nostalgically i just remember the way that he would sing it and i thought it was like i thought it was funny uh and now i'm just like okay cool like well, that's cool I, but the thing is, again, I wouldn't skip this one. It's just one of those ones that I take it out of context of the movie. Like, I don't necessarily need to hear it without seeing it happening on screen. Although I can picture him doing like the rubbing his throat yeah. when he's singing and like, <laughs> just completely wild. And I think I also the way he introed the song and then I think he said something. He made a comment in the middle of the song, too. I just always thought it was funny. It's like I would remember like the movie when it would come on. Well, he does the version he like in his karaoke version. It's supposed to be the version at um, what is it, Altman? I can't remember the name. Yeah, of it. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like that, specifically that version of the song is what he's doing. Oh, really? Oh, so rad. He's so cool. <laughs> All right. So up next is Cypress Hill's The Last Assassin. Cypress Hill is another one I've talked about on here a lot. I love Cypress Hill. Mm-hmm. Muggs is like one of the most underrated producers in rap, and I love this song. I'm glad to see something rap represented on here too uh sample wise like the token the token rap song on a 90s soundtrack (laughs) right you gotta have one on there somewhere i feel like it was was it always cypress hill i mean (laughs) oftentimes oftentimes by the way i'm surprised that i didn't mention that my favorite soundtrack of this era was the judgment night soundtrack it's so good have you done judgment night yet not yet okay well i may i please i'm i'm putting my my name in the hat for that all right that's fine you were you were welcome to do judgment night that would be fucking awesome. That so would be good. so good. But so, so Cypress Hill, though, was on, uh, I think they were on Judgment Night. I don't remember who they did a song with. But Sonic I, this, Youth. Oh, that's so cool. Um, this song rocks. Yeah, it's The it's Last great. Assassin is good. I, I put it on last night on YouTube, and I somehow knew half the words. <laughs> it's funny how i do that too with songs i haven't heard in years that i used to listen to that'll pop on and i'm like i still remember most of this like, i don't even remember being that crazy about this song but somehow i knew like so many words i was like when it first came on i was like i've never heard this song before and then i found myself like knowing the words hey you know what maybe you like rap more than you realized when you were younger i mean i think i always i always liked it but i never i didn't like get into it the way i needed to well, like I said, I'm going to send you for sure. I will not forget to send you two shorts. Get please, when we get off of please. this. I will send that, that would one be to awesome. You. 
I always like looking up samples on this one. And there's one sample that I knew right away. David Axelrod's A Divine Image has been used on Earl Sweatshirt Centurion is what I know it of. The most. This, this part in the song, you know how it sounds like a haunted house at certain points or like the beginning of the Scooby-Doo theme song, that like, wee, that real high squeaking sound. Mm-hmm. Like that's from that song. And then just recently I had done, I don't remember what song it was. Another song I did for the show had sampled Manziel's Midnight theme. And I can't remember what song it was, but those are the two big samples. And uh, yeah, it's just... Both of the songs have been sampled in tons of rap songs, by the way. But I I like this song too because it's a Cypress Hill song on a soundtrack that isn't about smoking weed because they did a lot of songs right. that were not about weed, but they were always like who people got a hold of when they were like, we need a weed song, even yep. on Judgment Night. Yep, yep, absolutely. And this yeah, this doesn't feel like a, a weed song necessarily. No. All right. So up next is Ruby's. This is uh, this is another I don't know shit about Ruby. So I kind of look this up. They have an actual Wikipedia page, but it doesn't really tell you much. They put out one album in 1996. They were still touring in 2016, though. So apparently they have a fan base. They had like they're a, from the UK. Reunion. So, you know, oh, OK, that that sense. might that might explain that. So I had the same thing where I heard the song. I listened to the song on the soundtrack last night and I was like, Oh, this is really good. Who the fuck is this? I've heard this person before. And then so I went to their Wikipedia and I knew all the words to one of their fucking songs. Really? Yeah, whatever. I was like, I was like, so what was their biggest song? And then I found it on their Wikipedia. And that was like, I was like, oh yeah, this song rocks. And I watched the video and stuff. What song was it? Do you know what the name was? Uh, you don't got to look it up. You could set up. <laughs> no, I'm going to find it. Because, you know, they really only had, oh, Tiny Meat. That's what I thought. Yeah, Tiny Meat. Okay, I'll have to look. The name doesn't ring a bell, but if I looked it up, that's happened plenty of times too. Where I'm like, don't know who they are, and then I listen to a song, and I'm like, oh, them. Like, yeah, I looked. I was like, okay, well, this like peaked at like you know whatever 100 and something. Like, there were so many great songs from this era that you know peaked at 140 or something like that. <laughs> right. uh, you know, and that uh, that I'm always shocked that I know all the words too. <laughs> well, okay, is that song better than the one on the soundtrack? Yes. Yeah, because this one. Again, it's not bad. It's like a watered down electronica or trip mm-hmm. hop or whatever yeah. the fuck. I don't know. Yeah, it's UK. But it's got very pretty vocals. And again, I wouldn't skip it, but I, I right now I can't think of what it sounds like in my head. I cannot yeah. remember what it sounds like. I don't I remember it either it. right now. All right. So number 12 is Filters, Hey Man, Nice Shot from the album Short Bus. This was at the time they put the soundtrack together. The biggest song on the soundtrack. Yes. You know, when they were assembling it. Um, very famously not about Kurt Cobain, despite the fact that everybody knew someone yeah. in high school who said, this is about Kurt Cobain, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so annoying. Our Bud Dwyer is actually what it's about. Uh, I don't know. You know, look, everyone knows Hey Man, Nice Shot. I don't have to really say a whole lot on this. One thing I will say is a very funny story on this that I found out is the guitar riff. And this was originally used by Stabbing Westward on their song Ungod because Filter's guitarist, Stuart Zeckman, was in Stabbing Westward and Filter at the same time. And he sort of played this this guitar riff for them. And they were just like, oh, that's good. I'll have it. And like used it on one of their songs. Like, that's <laughs> fucking dope. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah i mean i like it doesn't sound like it was anything that caused like beef or anything so it was like apparently not i mean i'm not not as the guy who you know is a melody guy but who it really is whoever's gonna has the better melody and lyrics wins so Um, and 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 at the end of the day i think it would have been filtered because nobody really knows i I don't even remember i've kind of remember like one of their songs but I'm, i'm glad that i don't fully remember it they have one good song on the Escape from L.A. soundtrack that I found out doing this that I really like. It sounds like something I wouldn't listen to at my own devices, you know. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna... Now, one band that I would listen to on my own and still listen to a fucking ton is Every Toby's. fucking day. So good. Unattractive. Will Menneker, when we did Escape from L.A. together, called Possum Kingdom the greatest karaoke song of all time. And I can't say I'd argue, could argue with that. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, I have never done it in karaoke, but now I would love to just go and do it right now. <laughs> you got something, you got plans this weekend then. You got something to do. That album, that album is just the best album. Rubberneck is so good. I it listen, so good. I listen to it. I'm not even kidding you. I listen to it all the time. Yeah, it's on my iPod. It never leaves my iPod. Every, every, whenever I have to switch one out, Toadies, that goes on there. Because like, and the thing about this song is, again, this kind of falls in the same thing as Silver Chair. Like, this song's good, but I know this is kind of a soundtrack full of this. Like, this is a good song by a good band that I know has better songs than what's mm-hmm. on here. But yes. This song's very good. Like, if I were trying to introduce someone to the Toadies, like, outside of Possum Kingdom, I would probably be Backslider if I had to choose a song that I'd be like, check this one out. It's so good. But this is this is fine. It's fine. It's just not as good as like pretty much anything else on on rub- rubberneck. Uh, yeah, I mean rubberneck. It, it this sounds like a rubberneck B side, and it's I think it's great because it's the Toadies, and I think that um, I know that their albums after rubberneck are are supposed to be like amazing. I've bought them, but I haven't been able to like bring myself to listen to them because I'm like, oh Toadies, here we go. Like I'm just going to put on rubberneck. Um, <laughs> you know, I will be with her Snyder. I don't even know the name of the song, but uh, I mean, has my favorite melody literally of all time. And this is just like Toadie's doing like a fast nineties uh, grunge soundtrack song. And, and they're so good that it's great. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I love Toadie's. I like the fact that the Toadie's have, you know, for being like quote unquote, one hit wonder band, like they have a fuck ton of like, dedicated fans because yeah, awesome. why would you not why would you they're so fucking good <laughs> i know like I know. you don't get vocals that good the thing is you get vocals melody and lyrics that can line up and be that good there's gonna be there's gonna be people who just like adore it because it's yeah. so it's so accessible yeah they're tremendous and uh i was happy when you were going through rattling off bands that you like because you know you kind of said you were an allison chains fan and then you started rattling off, but then you were like, you know, like bands like I like, like Silverchair and Toadies. And I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> You're saying you like them. I'm like, okay, good, good. That's oh, awesome. I, uh, no, I mean, I I honestly, it's weirdly for the last few years, I, I listen to it all the time. And it has made this crazy circle into this might be the best alternative album of all time. I'd have to sit and really think about that, but that would absolutely be in the conversation for me. Like, it's so good. It's so good. If you've never listened to the Toadies, you know, Rubberneck, please do so. Actually, that's funny because I have them in my recommendation stuff at the end, too. And and one of their later albums. So uh, if you want to start with one, I'll give you a good recommendation as like the next one to go with. But oh, please. What is it? Uh, Hell Below Stars Above is the one that I like. Most of their stuff following that album is very good. But that's the one that I like the most out of their like post Rubberneck albums was their their exact follow up to Rubberneck was the one that I still listen to probably more than any of their other stuff besides Rubberneck. Yeah, so I got to get into it because I know I like I said, like when you know how good he is and the guitar playing is freaking amazing. Just, yeah, I I was I went on like a YouTube deep dive and just watched a whole bunch of live toadies for a while. It, it, it's, and I'm like, oh, God, the, like I hate going to concerts, but I would love to see this show. No, I know they broke up, but do they get together in tour still? Uh, I don't know. Cause I, it's like, who's the audience? Like, you know, are they going to be able to make enough money to justify going on tour? It's, it, I, I don't know how, like the, the music industry is so fucked since I left it that I yeah. don't, I don't know how anything works, especially in a post COVID world. It all seems like just such a nightmare. Well, and like, you know, one of my favorite 
recent bands, not recent, I guess they've been around, but uh, Symbols Eat Guitars, you know, they didn't last because of monetary. They're like the Rens. They're like the modern Rens, you know, like they were like working men sort of band that, that unfortunately the music didn't necessarily pay the bills and they all had to go back and do like normal things other than uh, D'Angelo who, or not, but I, God damn it. Now I'm blanking on the lead singer's name, but anyway, you know, he's doing solo stuff still, but like they, they like three different times were like, we cannot sustain ourselves mm-hmm. with making music and mm-hmm. we have to go and like do normal jobs now. Mm-hmm. And you know, it sucks. It sucks to see that. Oh, so I, I, I mean, growing up in Phoenix, there was like a band and we would always take them on tour uh, in the format because, and Jimmy world would always take them on tour too, because that was our favorite band, like us and Jimmy world. That was absolutely our favorite band. So we would do everything we could. And it's just like, we'd get home from tour and like we had made enough money on tour or from whatever to not have to go to work. And then it's just like, those guys would just have to go like straight back into like, you know, their jobs as, as waiters or whatever. That's well, it's a, you know, the music industry, it, there's, <laughs> The music industry was fucked prior to streaming and Spotify is the thing. You know what I mean? Like oh, that- 100%. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, yeah. I, and you're talking to someone who's made an ungodly amount <laughs> from <laughs> from from the music industry. Uh, and I could also argue that I was not paid enough. Right. Yeah. No, it's fucked. It's a complete. That's why I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like. And also it's, it's nothing. Nothing is predicated on I, like, you know a lot of times talent finds its way to the top in, in the strangest ways, but success is, is not an indicative of talent in my opinion in the music world. No, it's not at all. Well, okay. So we're coming up on a band. Speaking of like, you know, this is most likely one of those bands who had to like work (laughs) common jobs and, uh, expanding man download. So I didn't know anything about these guys. Another one. And they have a Wikipedia page, so at least they were, like, big enough for that. But what I've gathered from looking at it is they were, like, a next big thing band. They toured with STP, things like that, uh, but they had no label support. Kind of a toady situation. No label support. Made it two albums, broke up. Uh, So this song's... Here's what I kind of had my notes. My specific notes about this song were, it sounds like someone trying to make a silver chair song. Mm -hmm. Not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It just... Mm -hmm. Very mid '90s vocal style. Uh, I like the chorus a lot. The chorus gets a little poppy, and I'm a sucker for, like, poppy hooks. Mm -hmm. And... I like this one. I like this one more with each listen as I went through this. Yeah, I listened to the soundtracks a handful of times before I do the show so I can get a good feel and see if I change my mind on any of them. This is one that I like progressively more each time. So I could not listen back. Uh, I couldn't find this one online, but I also remember it from the movie. So I was kind of like, I couldn't remember whether it was David Hitler who had the uh, <laughs> the um, alt song and Expanding Man, which it would make more sense to me if Expanding Man had the um, Chili Peppers song, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> nope, nope. Well, you know what? Here's the other thing. Now that we're talking about it, it falls into that forgettable territory because now I'm like blanking on exactly how this one goes. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I remember being obsessed with this album and I really can't remember very many of these choruses. Um <laughs> But, but I, I do feel like think we're underselling great, the soundtrack. Oh, a hundred percent. We're just being critical, which is is crazy because it's, it's it's actually a great '90s soundtrack. It, it, yeah. it I, that's why I wanted to do it, not just because it was the first CD I ever bought, but I listened to the shit out of it. Yeah, I didn't own this one. I was again, I was a rap kid back then, so my soundtracks are like above the rim and like Sunset Park and shit. That's cool. And uh, 
but my friends, I you know a lot of like alt rock friends. So I know I listen to a lot of stuff like this. And one of my friends had the Cable Air soundtrack, and like I remember listening to that in, in his car fairly often. So like, but it had been a long time. And listening to it, I was like, this is one of the like I feel like this is one of the underappreciated '90s soundtracks because again, it sold fairly well, but it's not one of the ones that's in the conversation of like real big soundtracks. But it was pretty big, mm-hmm. and it's it's a solid collection although there's not a for me there's not a skipper on it which is about as good of a thing as you can hope for with these sometimes uh yeah uh yeah no for sure that like that's all you can hope for in any album yeah the only uh, skipper might be the very last one and that's fine because it's a score song and they place it you know what points to this one again the john ottman concludes our broadcast day song that ends it sequencing wise sometimes they pop these fuckers in the middle yeah it's at the very end so if you want to the last song on this album can be expanding man's download you can start it right over you yep. know yep I, i'm with you 100 percent. all right so that's the soundtrack so we'll do a quick wrap up here and we'll be done so we got songs in the movie that were not on the soundtrack you got dinah washington's tv is the thing this year white zombies more human than human <sighs> curtis mayfield's pusher man was that way did you make a noise after i said white zombie yeah i mean that's just that song i i was never into white zombie so Oh, I get it. That's an acquired thing. I I like I like White Zombie enough, but I think they're trust cool. Me, I get it. I think they're cool. I just that song has always been funny to me. <laughs> oh, it is funny. No, they're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I enjoy them while also appreciating the fact that, like, you know, if you look at them, it's it's very funny. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's very funny. Yes, uh, you've got Curtis Mayfield's Pusher Man. Dizzy Gillespie, Salt, Peanuts. And finally, this is funny. They had to pay royalties for the karaoke scene. So that means the guess who got paid for American woman. Wally Holmes got credit for rock the boat and Darby slick got paid for somebody to love. (laughs) Is it on Spotify? So we kind of talked about this earlier. It's missing most of the soundtrack. Most streaming services, Spotify, iTunes, whatever you listen on. Obviously it's not going to have the juice you up intro or Jim Carrey's cover of somebody to love, but it doesn't have $10,000 gold chain. It doesn't have David Hitler. No, I'm calling him that David (laughs) Hitler. It doesn't have the cracker song, Cypress Hill song, Ruby song, Toadie song, exploding man song, or the John Ottoman, this concludes our broadcast day. It's missing like two thirds of the contract. Damn. Yeah. It's I wish I still had that CD. It'd be it would be uh, an important piece of my my history. Yeah, I, I'm gonna gift it to you. I'm gonna see if I can find one that's not like four hundred dollars and and send you a hard copy. I guarantee you can find one. It, it's surprisingly enough, I have looked up some of these physical copies and they're really expensive, but most of them aren't. Right, right. I would uh, assume so. And the it's, ones, it's sold a bunch of copies, so I'm sure that yeah, there's probably around. a bunch of used ones out there. The thing about this is all the ones that are on Spotify and stuff are ones that previously existed on other albums. Pretty much mm-hmm. anything that was exclusive to the soundtrack is not available anywhere. So licensing shit, I'm assuming. But oh, for sure. And I that's so fucking annoying. It is stupid. Yeah, I, that's good. That's a whole other conversation here. But the, the fact that, you know, streaming doesn't preserve anything is that's a insane. huge problem. It's insane. It's insane on top of all the other evils that streaming services do that they can't even preserve fucking music. Yeah. I know. I don't do this Spotify thing to like talk. Actually, it's mainly the reason that I do the, is it on Spotify thing is for this exact reason. It's to show that not everything is on these fucking streaming services. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I can never find anything on any of the stuff that, like all the old music that I'm looking for. It's like, it, it used to feel like you had everything at your fingertips. And now you don't, and like you can't even you can't even go to a, a record store and buy it now. So yeah, it's a terrible. Again, it's I mean we do sound like cranky old men right now. You realize? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's great to have anything you almost anything you want to listen to at your fingertips, but it sucks for preservation. No, and I I mean I, when I say that, I say that proudly because we get it. Like that's the problem. Like you can't. 
you preservation is not a concern to any of these streaming app vultures that and that goes with film you know any like Mm -hmm. okay and fucking how much money for you know streaming services and the cable guy's not streaming anywhere it's on stars but you know like I should be able to watch this fucking movie on a streaming service if I wanted to. Yeah, now, I have the movie on DVD, so it doesn't matter. But I just looking to see if it was streaming anywhere before going into this. And I'm like, it's only on stars. Like, I shouldn't shouldn't have to get a stars app program just to watch yep. this movie. Yeah. So. And that, yeah, that was I mean, I don't want to get into it too much, but like even the artwork, I remember having the artwork for this album, you know, and yeah. for me, it was my first CD. So, you know, looking through it, I'm sure that there was just a collage of picked stills from the film but it was such a cool thing to for me to have my very first cd which i scratched the shit out of oh yeah i was so bad with cds oh so that's that's the reason that i was so happy to jump to look i I, like i will read a hard book i will not read on a kindle like i am somebody who i gotta have a book in my hands but the one that i jump ship to a media i still buy blu-rays and dvds i went right the fuck for digital music when it came out because <laughs> yeah. i was like because i would like i would pull my sun visor down and like 30 cds would spill into my lap because i was well, terrible with my cds yeah so i mean yes yeah. so we this is how we don't sound like uh old old cranky guys is <laughs> like or having to find like auxiliary or well, i guess you had to find auxiliary with ipod too but like your cds getting eaten by the cd player <sighs> yeah there were downsides obviously to all of this but Except for vinyl, that's why it still has a light. No yeah. vinyl has just as many fucking problems. Well, I know, but at least you're not you're not really that's not portable. So it's it's a yeah. little it's a little makes a little more sense. Yeah, it stays stationary at least. All right. So let me ask you the movie, would you consider this movie an essential? Would you say stream it or would you say skip it? I would consider it essential. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's look, good dark comedies are hard to do, and this is one of them. And I feel like it's one of the best of the 90s as far as dark comedies go. If I, not... I, yeah, I would agree. I if, think you've got, like, Heathers in there as well. But, like, this was, like... This was a mainstream dark comedy, and Jim Carrey was on fire. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about the soundtrack? Would you say the soundtrack is an essential? Stream it, skip it, or cherry-pick certain songs off of it? I would cherry-pick certain songs off of it. Okay, I I call this one a stream because my mainly mainly the way I do this rating here is if it's not a skipper on there, I consider it at least a streamer. Check okay. it out. Yeah, at least check the whole thing out. Well, that's not um, going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. You can't. That's the other thing. You can't stream it. So good luck. Yeah. So I'm going to say stream it too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Welcome aboard. Okay. So do the two work well together? The soundtrack and the movie. Do you think they they're they're important? Like the move the music is important to the movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like the, the times that, especially like, you know, I mean, the karaoke scene has, you know, like as much as I sounded like I was sort of tepid to the, somebody to love, like it's hugely important. Pretty much every needle drop in this movie is, is used in a way that works. Yep. All right. What's your top three songs on the album? Yes. Uh, standing outside a broken phone booth. Um, Hmm. See, now I'm trying to like choose between what's super catchy and what uh, I'm going to go. Uh, oh, sweet. Nothing. And unattractive. OK. All right. So mine is. Ooh, Cody's on there. Good. I, I Mine's different, but I've got ten thousand dollar gold chains. Oh, sweet. Nothing at number one. Number two, Jerry Cantrell's Leave Me Alone. And number three, Cy- Cypress Hill's Last Assassin. Mm-hmm. Last yeah. Assassin's like fighting for 
uh, that Toadies spot, but it's just like Toadies. I just love them so much. I didn't even remember they were on the soundtrack. Yeah, I was excited to see them on here because it's like, ooh, a Toadies song that I don't know. Like, yeah, and then I'm like, ah, oh, no, track death. Ah, oh, no, track death. It's, <laughs> I, I, I can't, I like, oh, no, he's like, do you feel we? Oh, yeah, I can't wait to listen to that again, actually. It, that, that was a great song. That's in my top three. It's so good. It's so good. All right. So further watching, further listening real quick here. We've got unappreciated in their time, dark comedies. I'm going to go with Freddie got fingered and observe and report. I, I would also Never saw observe and report and really upset that I, I always forget that I need to watch it. I'll remind you when I send you two shorts, getting it. You should. It's really great. Observe and report is fucking funny. I know it's, any clip I've seen. I've been like, what is this? Also, what's the, the, another one that I didn't realize was so good was um, Clifford. Oh, yeah. Did you watch that when Charles Grodin died? No, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, oh, because a lot of people like that was like what I watched the night Charles Grodin died. It was like, I'm going to pop in Clifford. Clifford's funny. It's fucking weird. That's, I, that's what I love. Really that's awkward. What, uh, yeah. That would, but so, so does that make it a dark comedy or not? Oh, yeah. It's for sure a dark comedy. Okay, yeah. But the thing is, it's, oh, it's like a family-friendly dark comedy, right. sort of, kind right. of, sort of. It's right. really weird. Uh, and then I also like very bad things, which is another one that I watched with people that like a couple of my friends left. We were watching very bad things the first time. Um, if you're looking for something that's not a comedy, but is about st- obsessive stalkers, you've got play Misty for me or a single white female further listening. The toadies rule. I mean, like I was going to do a whole toadies thing here. So check out Rubberneck If you never have check out hell below stars above for another band with designated one hit wonder status cracker. As I said earlier, been pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had a recent album, the most recent album. It's been like 10 years, but Berkeley to Bakersfield is really good. And uh, since I talked about Silver Chair, I got to throw a shout out to Anna's song, which is probably their best song as far as I'm concerned. So that's that's my further watching, further listening. If you enjoy any of the songs of the soundtrack or this movie in general. All right. So I think that I think that'll do it. Nate, thank it, you so much for coming on. And oh, doing thank this. you. I really I, appreciate I, no, it. I, this has been so much fun. Thank you for having yeah, me. I, I had a blast. So let everyone know where they can find you and tell them about Claincast. Uh, they don't, nobody needs to find me. <laughs> All right. I didn't know if you wanted to. No, I don't plug anything. Uh, but I do host a podcast um, where we watch the Lethal Weapon television show. But we usually just shit talk each other the whole entire time. And then by the time it's time to get to summarizing the show, we're like, oh, God, this show fucking sucks so bad. <laughs> and that's really it. Yeah. Okay, did you actually plan on doing that show, or was it like a joke that became? So I remember you talking about doing a podcast about the Lethal Weapon series. No, we were serious. We were dead serious. Okay, see, I wasn't sure if that was something that was born from like a joke that that like eventually became something that you did. Because I remember you like talking about the Lethal Weapon series, and then all of a sudden it like actually happened that you were doing. So uh, conceptually, yeah, like you said, it's not <laughs> it's not just about the Lethal Weapon series, but conceptually that cracked me up because my dad does not watch TV does not. I mean, like he loves Seinfeld, but like, he's like, he's too impatient to sit and watch stuff. Um, Seinfeld. And like, we kind of got him and it's always sunny recently, but like <laughs> he doesn't watch movies. And for whatever reason, he got really into the lethal weapon TV oh show. Oh my God. It, and he got to watch it fall apart. My dad has never experienced that. I've had Hannibal. I've had arrested development. I've had shows that have like, I've loved it. Like didn't last. And he mm-hmm. didn't quite understand that concept of like, what is happening to this show that I like? Why is it? Why do they change the cast? Why is it being canceled? So it just, it cracked me up when I saw that on a conceptual level. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> and if he knew why it was like, oh, the, it was such a shit show. It was just a wild shit show. Right. And like ego wars. And for a knockoff of a movie, a television show that was a knockoff of a movie, these people like, 
were so full of themselves and oh god it's so it's so good i just if you don't want to listen to our podcast which i i don't expect anybody to um you should at least go to youtube and watch uh like an entertainment uh canada et canada uh talk about the fight between the two leads uh and showing audio footage and stuff well, I want to say you should do that, but you should also check out the show. And I will put a link for Claincast in the episode description for anybody that wants to go check it out. Because it's look, you all have a very good rapport, and I think it's a very funny show. So um Thank I, you. I, I I like it. And I think that anyone listening should go give it a listen because it's 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 just such a funny thing to be born from that concept. Like <laughs> I know that like, just the way it's sort of evolved into what it's become. And, and yet when we have a, such a weird affiliation now, and it's one of those things I think where people do a podcast about a TV show that they think is just like stupid, that they start being becoming extremely defensive of it as well. <laughs> and like, that's kind of where we're at is like, this is the dumbest fucking thing ever. But if you say anything about it, <laughs> well, it's like me from Ohio. Like, I'll talk shit about Ohio, but like, if somebody right. makes fun of Ohio that's not from here, I'm like, "Hey, motherfucker!" Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's like that's like mothers-in-law, like or like or my wife's like family. I'm not allowed to talk shit about them, but she can all day. <laughs> all right. Well, Nate, again, I had a blast, and uh, I'll keep you in mind on Judgment Night for real. Like, that's I'll remember that one. Because please um, do, please do. I need to re-listen to. I'd have to like re-listen to the soundtrack, but it, but I feel like that's like one that needs to be re-listened to, anyways. All right, great. So everyone listening at home, thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you all have a tremendous weekend. Nate, again, you, this was a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you. This concludes our broadcast day. <laughs> hey, that's great. I should have thought of that myself. Uh-huh. See, you, you host this show. I know. I will. I got the next episode. I'll be hosting the next episode. <laughs> Good. That's fine. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Ain't no use running. Ain't no way to hide. He ain't gonna miss you, and he ain't gonna mess around If you're a movie with original songs The soundtrack I'm gonna track you down